makes us alive again makes us alive again There's nothing worth more that could ever come close. Nothing can compare your olive-ing Your presence. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone your
Testing. Good. Am I not supposed to say that? They've never asked me to do the greeting before. This is probably going to be my first and last time. But good morning. Now what? <laughs> Just kidding. Um, good morning. Thank you for coming to Grace Life this morning. We are so honored. Look at my daughter looking at me. She looks very scared that I'm up here. <laughs> Um, we are very honored and thankful that you came to worship with us this morning. Um, I also want to say, do we have the live stream going? I don't know where to look. Over there? I want to say a special good morning to all our friends and especially our Grace Life family who's joining us from home this morning. Um, God just puts you on my heart all the time, and I want to tell you that we miss you, that we love you dearly. It is not the same without you. And we can't wait for the day that we are able to be together again under one roof. And um, any guests that we have this morning, I also want to give you a special hello and thank you for joining us this morning. And we have a tradition at Grace Life. We start every service with what is called the Grace Life Welcome. I think it'll be, I, I have it on my phone, so it might actually be easier for me to read it from here. So this is the Grace Life Welcome. To all who mourn and need comfort, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and need strength, to all who sin and need a savior, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and to whoever else will come, Grace Life Church opens wide her doors in the name of Jesus Christ and offers welcome. And I pray and hope that you feel his presence with you this morning, and I pray that you feel his love and you will know that you are cherished by him and by us. Thank you. Good morning, church. What a beautiful day to come together and worship. If you would, stand with me so we can worship together, and um, let's just pray real quick. Lord, I praise you that we can come boldly to your throne, Father, because of Jesus Christ's blood, Lord, and I pray that we can worship you with all of our hearts today, Lord, and uh, let us hold nothing back, Father, and even though it's a simple setup, I just pray that we're just overwhelmed with, with how much you love us and um, how much you deserve the praise and, and the glory and honor, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.
cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds his hands his feet my Savior on that cursed tree his body bound and drenched in tears they laid him down in Joseph's tomb the entrance sealed by heavy stone Messiah still all alone no praise the name of the Lord our God oh praise his name forevermore for endless days we will sing your praise oh Lord oh Lord our third at break of dawn the son of heaven rose again oh trampled death where is your sting the angels roar for Christ the King and sun shall pierce the night and I will rise among
My foes are many They rise against me But I will hold my ground I will not fear the war I will not fear the storm My help is on the way My help is on the way And oh my God My refuge and strength always I will not fear His promise is true My God will come through always Always Trouble surrounds me Chaos abounding, my soul will rest in you. I will not fear the war, I will not fear the storm, my help is on the way. My help is on the way, and oh my God, you will not delay my I will not fear His promise is true My God will come through Always, always I lift my eyes up my help comes from the Lord. I lift my eyes up. My help comes from the Lord. I lift my eyes up. My help I lift my eyes up, my help comes from the Lord. Oh my God, you will not delay my refuge and strength always. I will not fear your promise is true. darkness tries to roll over my bones when sorrow comes to steal the joy I own when brokenness and pain is all I know I won't be shaken 
I won't be shaken My fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your love My fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your love My fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your love And shame no longer has a place to hide And I am not a captive to the lies And I'm not afraid to leave my past behind I won't be shaken No, I won't be shaken My fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your love My fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your love My fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your love There's power that can break off every chain There's power that can empty out a grave And There's resurrection power that can save There's power in your name Power in your name and There's power that can off every chain There's power that can empty out a grave There's resurrection power that can save There's power in your name Power in your name My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand Stand a chance when I stand in your love Oh, I am standing on the rock I am standing in your love I am standing on the rock my firm foundation, my firm foundation. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. Fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand. higher than 
for us, Father. We as your children are surrounded by you and protected by you, Lord. Lord, I pray that we can just be overwhelmed today with how much you love us, Lord, and when we fall and we make mistakes, we can boldly approach your throne, Father, and we are covered by the blood of Jesus. We are redeemed by the blood of Jesus, Lord, not anything we did 
not based off anything we've done or are going to do, Lord. It is all of what Jesus already did on the cross, Father. Lord, I pray for Tommy as he delivers this message this morning, Lord. I pray that we can just, just chew on your word, Lord, and really just take it in and just leave here renewed and refreshed, Father, and share with the world what we've learned here today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, Grace Life. So good to read scripture together. Uh, today's scripture comes from John 12, 20 through 26. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. see if this is going to work okay today yeah i think we're good let's pray then keep your bibles open to uh, john chapter 12 and we're going to dig in as we continue our series on culture check let's pray heavenly father thank you for the opportunity to to gather together and to be equipped and to grow together all so that we can go together so that we can be sent we can be your servants living on mission for jesus christ filled with the endless supply and power of your holy spirit motivated by the truth of the over and over equipped by your word so help us to Stay focused today. Help me to stay focused, Lord, on this message. This is a short passage, but it's packed full of so much truth that I know the enemy would want to distort or confuse in our minds. And so I just pray your spirit would come, Lord. Help us to see our mission more clearly, our Savior more beautifully, and opportunities in front of us, Lord. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Farmers in Oklahoma during the late 1930s faced an excruciating choice. The ground was overfarmed and overgrazed. A long drought had set in and all of the tops had been eroded. Winds had begun to sweep across the western plains, creating what became known as the Great Dust Bowl. There's even pictures of that that are terrifying to look at. Devastating storms picked up all that unanchored dirt and dumped it everywhere. The storms would last for days, and sometimes they would blot out the sun. The sand was so fine, like dust. 
In some areas, 75% of the topsoil was lost to erosion, and the damage led thousands of farmers to leave the only way of life that they had ever known the city, looking for new opportunities. And it also left about half a million Americans homeless. And that was during the Great Depression, when the stock market crashed. And so it was a really terrible time. And some farmers refused to leave, holding on to the life that they had ever known and rain. I think this is a little bit. Sorry for the distraction here. I'll try to get it plugged in better. Farmers reported that not even weeds, they couldn't even get weeds to grow in their fields. That's how terrible of an opportunity it was to plant and grow anything. They were in a dilemma. They had just to last them a year. Now, you know, grain is the same thing as a seed when we're talking about wheat and crops, okay? So we eat, we eat wheat, we make bread with it. We crush it in a mill and make flour and bake bread. So those farmers had just enough grain to feed their families and themselves for another year, but probably not much longer than that. If they planted the seeds and no rain came, it was a double loss. They would starve and they would have no harvest, no crops. But if they held on to those seeds, they could feed themselves for a year and then that would be it. They would be facing a dilemma again. So many did this. They made the excruciating choice. They planted the last bag of grain that they had in faith, in faith that rain would come and that they would reap a harvest. And if you know history, rain did come. It finally came in 1939, a whole bunch of rain. And all those farmers who faithfully planted and prayed and took a radical risk and made an excruciating decision were able to reap a harvest and feed families, but many other starving people in the West and really in the whole U.S. Planting always involves a risk. Now, when I say planting today, I'm using that analogy that Jesus used, but I also want you to think sending, because that's, that's the name of the message today is sending servants. We're talking about a culture, which is, is a culture is the unwritten rules about the way we do things around here. Every church has a culture, every family has a culture, every large company, every small business, every home has a culture. You don't realize it. It's like the smell in your house we've talked about. It's things you assume. You don't question it's the vision and the values you have adopted for yourself and protect and preserve and promote and foster and cultivate without really talking about it. So we've been talking about the culture of Grace Life Church for the last six years now. And we, we come to this. This is one of the hardest to maintain because it seems so counterintuitive to be a church culture. Resources to send servants, to send money, to send missionaries, to send people locally. That just doesn't sound safe. It doesn't sound wise. Foolish to some people, it sounds risky. But I would say this the churches that have lost that vision that Jesus left them with, they may be big, and that's okay to have a big church. Hey, I'd love to have a big church too. Um, but if you are measuring your success by how many people you pack into the building instead of what they do when they leave that building, you're not thinking about Christianity the right way. So when you hear plant and it's risk, it's excruciating, just like those farmers. You have to make a choice, especially a small church like Grace. We've been here for six years. We've got limited resources, limited people, limited leaders. 
And yet God continually puts opportunities in front of us faithfully as we pray and as we are holding on to the things God's given to us with open hands, not hoarding, not clinging, not being greedy, not gifts God gave us like treasure and her hoard. But as we hold on to them with, with open hands, God blesses. So planting always involves a risk. You release something valuable. You release something important. You release something you need that you could use right then. And you realize this is God's to begin with. This came from God. And he's going to use it however he sees fit. So why are we talking about farmers, seeds, and planting? Because that's the very analogy that Jesus used when he was talking about the cost of fulfilling his mission in the world. It's interesting. If you look at this passage in John 12, you look at the passage right before it, it starts with a complaint from the Pharisees. They're getting aggravated because Jesus is accumulating followers. They can't do anything to stop it. They've tried everything, which eventually leads to the ultimate decision, we've got to murder this guy. But here, all at stopping Jesus, and they, and they say to one another, so the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has after him. The whole world has gone after them. And then that leads to passage that Aaliyah where some Greek think Gentiles, Gentiles, not Jews, they're actually, and they find some And they say, sir, we wish to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. We want to talk to him. We want to hear his message. We want to follow him. We want to be his disciples. And they're so blown away by it, they don't, it's almost like there's a little panic. They don't know what to do. They say, well, do you... You want to talk to him, Nathaniel, you, Philip, what do we do? And they go and they get Jesus, and they say, hey, some Greeks you. And Jesus does something strange, like he always does. He answer their question the way that you and I probably would. Like, yeah, 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 the Greeks, I've been expecting them. Here's what you need to do. Send them over here, give them this. He doesn't do it. He starts talking about planting, dying, and a harvest. What in the world's going on here? What's going on? I'm changing the back. Hang on just a second. There we go. All right. Hey, I get that time back. That doesn't count for the sermon. Is that one turned off? Yeah, there we go. Okay, sorry about that, folks. Thank you, tech team. Where would we be without the tech team? Lost. That's where we would be. So that's why Jesus, he doesn't answer the question the way we expect him to, because he's wanting us to think deeply with him about the mission. Jesus is thinking about his death. His hour, it says, had come. His hour had come, meaning he's about to do what he came to do. He's about to die on the cross as a sacrificial lamb for the sins of the world. That's what, he's, that's what he came to do, and that's what he's about to accomplish. And then Greeks are coming after him, and Jesus is thinking about the global impact 
of what he's about to do. In other words, Jesus is about to do something in around 30 AD. And he's about to do something in this little country called Palestine or Israel, if you will. So that's, that needs to impact the entire world, people of all times, all tongues, all tribes, all nations, even to the most re, uh, remote uh, tribe in the Amazon jungle or to the people in Iceland. How's that going to happen? How's what he does there, how is the message about that, the good news, the gospel, how's that going to get to all people in all places at all times? That's what Jesus is thinking about. And he uses the analogy of a grain, a, a, a seed. Unless it's planted, it remains alone. I think I put that slide up. Let's see, This is what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, by the way, whenever you see the words truly, truly in the Bible and Jesus is talking, did you know in Aramaic and Greek, it's amen, amen. He's saying amen, amen. We say amen after something powerful has been said, right? Preacher says something, amen, preacher. We just say it once. It'd be weird if you said it twice. Back then, they said it twice, and they said it. Jesus knew he was about to say something so revolutionary, so counterintuitive, so critical that he needed to preface it with amen. Amen. I'm about to say something rad. So, amen, amen. Truly, truly, as the ESV says, I say to you, unless, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. In other words, you just want to feed your family for the year, that's fine. Hang on to that seed and eat up, brother. Or you can feed the whole world and you could plant that thing and you're going to suffer. Not just the, the, the person that sins is suffering, the church that sins is suffering, but the, the person being sent himself or herself, there's suffering involved in that too. That's the analogy. When a grain enters the ground, it literally dies and becomes something entirely new. An acorn becomes this massive oak tree that provides shade for squirrels and food and the annoying limbs that drop in your yard and the moss that the, the little mites live in. It, <laughs> this little acorn grew up to something massive that's, for the most part, beneficial to, to humanity, right? So that's why Jesus is using this analogy on the heels of some Gentiles coming seeking him. He's saying, that's right. We wish we knew more. How'd the conversation go? Were they sent away? No, I don't think. I think we'll meet those, those Greeks in heaven. But that provides an opportunity for us here at Grace Life to talk about one of the distinctives, one of the cultures. We have to fiercely protect this culture of sending. We have to fight for it. We have to protect it. We have to foster and cultivate it. That's what culture is. Cultivate is just, you know, a lengthening of the word culture because we don't naturally drift toward that. You know what we naturally drift toward? Hoarding. Hoarding. <laughs> you guys have seen that show, haven't you? My wife loves that show. I can't stand it. It grosses me out every time I watch it. Because these people seem so blinded. They're, for the most part, they're hanging on to garbage. It's junk. It really is. It's like nasty, mold-infested dolls that they think they can sell for $500 on eBay. And we know they can't. Nobody wants that. Throw it away. Burn it, dude. It's soaked in cat urine. Seriously. They'll hold on to this garbage for years. Nobody can talk them out of it. A social worker comes. A daughter intervenes. Their neighbor and their best friend, the city council comes and says, you're going to get fined every day that you don't clean your yard up and yet they're hanging on to it. They're so blinded. They're holding on to garbage, but check this out. Sometimes churches become hoarders, and we hold on to things that by design God intended to be sent out. 
You know what? You know what? One of the most powerful things Jesus ever. The word missionary is never used in the New Testament, not once. It's a created word we use, sometimes wrongly, as like these Navy SEAL Christians that are actually supposed to go and be sent and do something. That word's never used in the Bible. We're all missionaries. You know that? Charles Spurgeon said there's two kinds of people in the church missionaries or imposters. That challenged me when I read that quote. We're all, Jesus said this in John 20, 21, one of the most powerful things Jesus ever said. He said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. If you don't see yourself as sent by Jesus into mission, you're not viewing yourself the right way. And that goes for individual Christians in the church, and it goes for the church itself. And when I say sent, you probably think of a missionary, or you think of somebody with this radical ministry. Guys, God has entrusted each and every one of us with a ministry. You, if you are a Christian, God has given you a ministry. There are people who are lost and dying and suffering and hurting all around you. God has sent you to them. He wants you to go and find them and help them. Out to them. God even showed me that this week. Something very personal, uh, just with some people that I'm close to. Not in, my, not in my family, but people that live close to me. God just read, it's like a loud wake-up call. Like, look, I've sent you here. Are you going to do something or not? Are you going to wait for somebody else to intervene? Or are you going to be the one that I sent? You know, we had these three easy, memorable things. We gather we grow, and then we just hang out and lit up, right? No, what's the third one? We go. We go. Always we're going. Always. Every time we leave, do you guys know why we do that weird chant that people who visit for the first time think we're a cult? At the very end of the service, everybody stands and we give the charge, right? And I forget it half the time. What is it? Help me. I, I'm a what? I'm a witness. I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. And then most of us stop there and we forget the most important line. What's the last line? He left it out, didn't he? You have been sent. That's it. Every week when we gather here and you leave, we remind us that it's not just what we did here that's important to God. It's what we do when we leave. We gather to equip one another. It's like one analogy somebody used is that the church falls into either three ships or boats. One is a cruise liner. I don't need to tell you that that's probably a terrible analogy for a church. Cruise liner. Comforts, convenience, you know, more steak. I wanted it rare. Dang it. Come on. <laughs> What's going on here? Uh, cruise liner, like... And, and I, I don't want to say a mega church. There's some awesome mega churches in the world, but a lot of them would fall into that. Come and consume, consume. The music's great. The coffee's great. The message is great. The speaker's great. You come and consume, and then you leave, and you've had your... That's cruise liner, right? Second's the battleship. That's where the fight's at, man. The battleship goes into these territories and blows up submarines and blows up everything, and the people are angry, and the fight is in the church. It's on the ship. It's around the ship. Battleship. And the third one is this, aircraft carrier. Aircraft carrier, that's where like the, the tip of the gospel spear, the fighter planes, they come, they get refueled, the pilots get food, they get rest, they, they, they get the latest strategy from their commander, and then they fly right back off that flat, you've seen those airline car carriers, right? They fly right back off and they go to where the battle's being fought. I think the church should view itself as the last. 
We are a place where people come and, and they heal, they get refreshed, they get equipped, they get empowered. They come, they gather, they grow, but then they go. I've always used the analogy that the church is not a museum where eminent saints come with halos around their head and we look at them like a Mona Lisa and just fist bump and high five one another. It's more like a hospital where, where struggling people that are afraid of what they may do the next five minutes or they've made some terrible sinful decisions, they can come and they can heal. And I'm always fearful that when I use that illustration that people think, that's it, that the church is always a hospital. It's just where we're always sick and we're, and we're weak and we're wounded and we never get better. That's not what I mean. The whole point of a hospital is you come and you get treated and you get better and then you get released, right? Have you ever been to the hospital and aren't you thankful, especially if you've been there for the six kids that we've had, and this doctor always comes in on the last day and he says, we're about to discharge you. And I've learned after the sixth kid, don't tell me that until five minutes before you're going to let us out of here. Because you're ready. You've been there for 72 hours if it's, a, if it's a C-section. They have to hold you 72 hours. I'm way off my notes here. That's okay, though. Hopefully, it's the Holy Spirit, not Tommy, right? They say, we're about to discharge you. And like 20 hours later, you're like, dude, what happened? I'm ready to go. Send me out of here. I got family to deal with. I've got my house to, you know. So if the church is a hospital, don't view it as you're eternally sick there. No, you're not. You can come here and heal and get better and get equipped and get filled up. And if you're an airplane on a carrier, you get sent right back out to the battle. You know, the Bible says in Matthew 16, Jesus said this. He said, I am my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I think so often we think, as long as Satan's not coming into my backyard, I'm doing okay. Do you realize that passage says you're, you're supposed to be What's, what's the word here, Cliff? Infiltrating, right? You're supposed to like take it to the devil. Not like you're in a personal war against Satan, but he has strongholds. There are people that are under his dominion that are blinded. Satan has blinded their minds lest they see the glory of Christ and the power of the message and believe and follow. He's holding them hostage. The battle's there. We're supposed to be sent to all of those people, to people at your job, the people at your school, young people people in your neighborhood. You don't have to cross the Atlantic Ocean to be a missionary. Sometimes it just means crossing your street and inviting your neighbor over or having that awkward conversation at the water cooler, changing a political conversation into something spiritual, saying, yeah, you know what? All of our politicians will fail us ultimately if we're hoping in them to fix the major problem in the world, which is sinful hearts, right? Awkward, <laughs> but powerful. That's good application for the next season we're, we're going into as a nation, right? So, um, yeah, so here's the outline. I'm sorry, that was all, that was all preview. Here's our outline. <laughs> why, is, why is it so hard? Why is it so hard and yet so powerful when a church wraps its, its arms around this culture that God has for it called a sending culture? Well, there's three reasons. Sending is costly. Sending is critical, and sending is Christian. Those are the three reasons. And let's look at the first one. Sending is costly. That's the analogy Jesus used. And I've covered most of this already. I don't want to beat a dead horse. But you are turning loose. of. I'll just say it to you like this. Just a personal illustration here. Some of you that are newer may not know this, but uh, we were three years into this church plant. And I felt like as a pastor, as the lead pastor, we were just really getting started, man. We had... 
Almost 200 people gathering here on a Sunday, kids included. More pe people were really starting to hear about our church, and they were coming. And Jeff Eckert and I co-pastored. And we had leaders, we had ambassadors, we had servants. We're starting a youth ministry, trying to. And then this incredible opportunity came in Ormond-by-the-Sea, a church that was on their last leg. They had lost their missional focus. They had lost their edge. And they invited us to come and do there what we had done here. And when I heard it, I was, I was shaking because I knew, I know what that's going to cost. That's going to cost. They're asking us to come and replant their church, and that means it's going to cost money, it's going to cost time, and it's going to cost people. And we're just really getting started here. And I got to tell you, I got to be honest. I want to tell you as a pastor, I struggled. I struggled because it was a church right on the beach, and I knew Jeff. Jeff grew up at Ponce Inlet, and he's a surfer. And he told me many times, like, dude, I believe God wants me here. But I'm like 40 minutes from the ocean, and I'm going crazy. I would, I'm praying for God to give me an opportunity. I'm like, I don't pray that. Well, we're good. <laughs> and then that pastor called, and, and I said, well, you know what, man? We had lunch with him. I said, let's pray about it, and we'll think about it. And on the way back, Jeff said, I'm going. <laughs> I said, dude, we have not even prayed about this. And he said, I've prayed. Have you? And I'm like, I'm still thinking about it. <laughs> and so it didn't take very long for this plan to get started, and Sure enough, man, God was all over it and all through it and all in it. And we sent Jeff and we sent five faithful families from this church who tithed, who served, who showed up, who weren't consumers. They were like servants. They were producers. We sent them, man. We sent them there to invest. And I'll show you a slide if we get to it at the end of the, at the, end of the service, uh, where they're at now and what they've done. And it's amazing because, listen, the world does not understand this concept the world would not understand how you can celebrate fruit not grown on your tree. That is to the world, right? There's fruit being born out in Ormond Beach because this church, and I'm not, this is not a feather in my hat. You guys help me. This, you are some of the most generous, giving, open-handed people I've ever met in my life, and you helped me. We could have held on and said, you know what, Jeff, the timing's off. It's not right. We need these families, our budget, da, 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 a million reasons why I could think of humanly and unbiblically why we shouldn't do it. But God was screaming, send these families, they're mine, send them. I have many people in this city, Ormond by the Sea. <laughs> Remember the dream, the vision Paul had? Nobody will harm you. I have many people in this city, stay here, preach. And Paul did for 18 months, and man, we got the book of Corinthians now, two, two of them. And so there is fruit that is being born in Ormond by the Sea, and this church, in, in mysterious and maybe even mystical ways, we're part of that. We are a part of that. Here's a test. Here's a test for, for somebody like me who's a leader. I pray for a revival to break out in this city. I mean, to break out visibly. Holy Spirit comes down. People are moved, converted, refreshed. Like, it's the talk. We're not talking about politics. We're talking about Jesus. Wouldn't that be radical? You turn on the news, and they'll talk about another news today in Deltona. Three more people came to Christ, repented of their sins, and left behind their enslaving life. Wouldn't that be amazing? Instead of talking about what this leader did or didn't do or... Revival breaking out. I pray that. I'd love to see that and experience that. What if God said, okay, Tommy, I'm going to answer your prayer. Revival's going to come to Deltona, but I'm going to use the church down the street to bring it. Not yours. Whoo. Is it okay? <laughs> I'm just asking you. Would you be, now it's this is I get you're, you're like, yeah, I'd be okay. Well, sure you would, man. <laughs> you're not the lead pastor of the church. No, honestly, I would be okay with that. It'd take me a little while. My wife would have to help me, you know. 
But that's the kingdom. If we're just thinking about our castle, we're not thinking about God's kingdom. It's so much bigger than this church. And that excites me because I know, I, I look at the, even though we're young and we're a small congregation, this is a, a, an army ready to be mobilized. One of these days, I'm going to do what I did the first year. I'm going to put up here every vocational calling, uh, and, and whether it's vocational or just home calling, people in this congregation is represented, it would blow your mind, man. We have engineers, we have teachers, we have carpenters, we have uh, homekeepers, we have homeschoolers. I mean, I would, we have retired doctors, we have, we have everything here. It's just amazing, the potential. All the, if people were faithfully living sent on mission, all the people they would reach. And then we like Melissa Affalter, who we partnered with Fieldstone Counseling. She's locally counseling. That's her mission. We got Patty Parks in Ireland, one of the hardest to reach English-speaking nations in the world. We've sent her. Identity Church. We have partnered with them. We're financially supporting them in Daytona Beach. All the fruit that is being produced by that, we share in. That excites me. That's so much bigger than this little castle that may crumble one day. Joby Martin said this once at a conference. He said, Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I will build my church. He said, the church is going to be fine. It's going to last forever. He said, your church, we'll see. Man, that's hard to hear that, isn't it? The church will survive. Your church, I don't know. Because <laughs> it's God's. We are, not sh we are not cattle that has a Grace Life brand. You've got to understand, guys, how hard it is for me to say this. I do not own you, and you do not belong to me. You don't. I believe church membership is important, and I believe everything the Bible says about being a member, being all in, committing yourself to a local church, being submissive and under the authority of local elders, I'm all about that. And at the same time, I know sometimes God moves people at critical stages in their life. Sometimes he moves them to a different church. Not because the music's better. Not for shallow reasons like that. And I, that is a shallow reason. I'm sorry. We can talk about it if you have a hard, hard time with that. <laughs> but sometimes for, for deep and profound reasons, God moves people to different churches. And we have to be okay with that. It'd be one thing if there's unconfessed sin, if there's deception, if there's somebody that has been wrong, that needs to be confessed, repented of, and dealt with and handled. But I want to be the kind of Christian, the kind of leader, that if somebody feels led by the Holy Spirit to go and be a part of another church, this is my prayer, seriously. I want them, I want that church they're going to, to be stronger because this church has so invested in them when they were here. That's the right way to view it. It really is. It's hard. It's hard to lose anybody. It's hard to send anybody, but it's the right thing to do because it's costly. Friendships get broken up. Relationships get broken up. You know the parallel passage for this one is in Matthew 10, and he says, unless a person hates his mother and his father and his brother and his sister, he cannot follow me and be my disciple. He's basically saying, unless you love me more than you love your mother and your sister. That puts it in perspective, doesn't it? There was a missionary whose name was John Patton. He lived in the 1800s, and he felt called by God to go to the... Uh, to go to the New Hebringing Islands, I believe, was, was the location he went to. I should look because I actually wrote it down. It's important. He went to uh, the New, New Hebrides in 1891. And he was in his 20s and he needed to go get training. And he knew uh, the way life was back then. His father, who was an amazing man of God and, and shepherd in their home, 
had to send his son. He had to send him to go get training and then go to the mission field, probably would never see him again. And 40 years after this thing that he wrote about happened, uh, John Patton wrote about, he had to walk 40 miles to the, to the train station, and his father walked the first six miles with him, and he wrote about it. I want to read it. I'm going to try not to cry when I read this, because you want to talk about the cost. The cost of sending someone is great, because we just want to, we want to hoard, we want to have an eternal potluck down here, right? Nobody ever leaves, nobody ever goes anywhere else, we can just like hang out, high five. Check this out. My dear father walked with me the first six miles of the way. His counsels and tears and heavenly conversation on that parting journey are fresh in my heart as if it had been but yesterday. And tears are on my cheeks as freely now as then, whenever memory steals me away to the scene. For the last half mile or so, we walked on together in almost unbroken silence. My father, as often was his custom, carrying hat in hand while his long flowing yellow hair streamed down his shoulders, his lips kept moving in silent prayers for me, and his tears fell fast when our eyes met each other in looks for which all speech was vain. We halted on reaching the appointed parting place. He grasped my hand firmly for a minute in silence, and then solemnly and affectionately said, God bless you, my son. Your father's God prosper you and keep you from all evil. Unable to say more, his lips kept moving in silent prayer. In tears we embraced and parted. I ran off as fast as I could. And when about to turn a corner in the road where he would lose sight of me, I looked back and saw him still standing with head uncovered where I had left him, gazing after me. Waving my hat and I to you, I was round the corner and out of sight in an instant, but my heart was too full and sore to carry me further. So I darted into the side of the road and wept for a time. Then rising up cautiously, I climbed the dike to see if he stood yet where I had left him. And just at that moment, I caught a glimpse of him climbing the dike and looking out for me. He did not see me, and after he had gazed eagerly in my direction for a while, he got down, set his face toward home, and began to return, his head still uncovered, and his heart, I felt sure, still rising in prayers for me. I watched through blinding tears till his form faded from my gaze, and then, hastening on my way, vowed deeply and oft by the help of God to live and act so as never to grieve or dishonor such a father and mother as he had given me. He wrote that in 1891, and I was told that was the last time he ever saw his father. It's amazing. And isn't that moving to read that? We think, man, but we have such a good thing here. We can't, we can't part with people and with leaders. And you know, it's our, part of the DNA here is we want to plant, we want it to be a church that is planted, that plants more churches, that make more disciples, that send more missionaries, and so on and so forth. And it hurts. And you know what? When it's time for us to plant the next church and send out the next leader and send out the next families, it's going to be painful, but it's going to be the right thing to do. Amy Carmichael said this years ago. She said, we will have all eternity to celebrate our victories, but only a few short hours to win them. We're thinking, man, we could just have the potluck and hang out. And listen, guys, we're going to hang out for all eternity together. And never be sick of each other or bothered or annoyed by each other. Isn't that amazing? But we've only got a few short hours to secure the victories. God left us here for one reason. Everything else, we can do better in heaven. We can fellowship better. We can worship better. We can sing better, especially me. <laughs> All those things that the Christian responsibilities uh, and disciplines will be able to do better in heaven, except for one, evangelize. David Platt said, every saved person this side of heaven owes every unsaved person this side of hell the gospel message. We're indebted to them. That's Romans 1. 
And we have to send, we have to be sent and live on mission and stay on mission. That has to be the culture here. That means we don't hoard. We celebrate those times when God calls somebody away. I mean, we, our worship leader for the first three years of this church moved to Georgia because, because of his time here, Zach Epps. He was a, how old was he, honey? 15? 17? When, when he started up here, he was young, young, and didn't know what God's call on his life was. But you know what? God used the three years he was here. He wanted to go to Atlanta, Georgia, and, and get trained to be a worship leader. And God knows all the fruit that's going to come from that young man. And we were a part of that. That's awesome to be a part of that. Do I miss him? Sure I do. But we got TJ and Kyle now that are leading us. And all the worship team that has grown up here. There's a part of me that, there's a part of me that believes. Had we just held on, like Zach talked to me, said, Pastor Tom, what do you think? Should I go? That's not the kind of question you ever want somebody to, to ask you for the third year of a church plant. I said, oh, Zach, you know... <laughs> Yeah, you should go, man. You should go. Cast your bread upon many waters, right? <laughs> and it will come back to you. I told Zach, one of these days you're going to come back, man. You're going to be wearing skinny jeans. and <laughs> Francis Chan said this once. He said, Christians are like manure. <laughs> Hang on, it gets better. Christians are like manure. Spread them out and they help everything grow better. But keep them in one big pile and they stink. And I grew up on a farm with many horses and a lot of cattle, and he's right. We had flower beds. People came from all over the neighborhood to get the manure that we had there. And man, did it help. But when you keep it just in one pile, it's gross, it's disgusting, it stinks, it molds, it gets rancid. If we hoard, we lose. We lose. The people we're hoarding lose, and the people that they could have been sent to lose. Nobody wins. But it feels right to do that. That's the danger. Sending is costly, and sending is critical. Sing is critical. I have no idea where I'm at in my notes now. It's okay, though. Three, four, five. Okay. Sending is critical, meaning this. God will do. This is such an important part of the task and responsibility God left us with, that God will do whatever it takes to make sure this vision is accomplished. He will send. Did you know, we tend to think of the apostles and the first disciples as... You know, I said this last week, as halos over their head. Um, and make no mistake, the Holy Spirit filled them and they were obedient. But it was a process too, right? They weren't perfect. They weren't perfect. In fact, the very first chapter of Acts, Matt, I'm probably botching this. The very first chapter of Acts, uh, this is what they say. Can you guys see this? So when they had come together, they asked him, Jesus is about to go back up to heaven, about the ascension. And they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What are they thinking about? Jesus has trained them, invested in them three years. What are they thinking about? Who are they thinking about? Themselves, their nation. We want, we want Rome gone. We want the freedom that you promised us. We want our land back. We're ready, Lord. And what did Jesus say? It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And they do. Just the very next chapter, Holy Spirit comes down, bam, and the church is born. And then he goes on, and you will be my witnesses. That happened too. Peter preached an amazing message, 3,000 documented conversions, bam, on the spot. This thing's rolling. The church is born. It's growing. But then read the rest of this. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Check. 
in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, you may not know this. If you will read the first eight chapters of the book of Acts, the, church, the book of Acts, by the way, is all about the birth, the expansion, and the extension of the church. The birth happens in the first two chapters. The expansion happens in the next few chapters. More and more disciples get added. The world's turning, being turned upside down. Jerusalem is like the new epicenter for Christianity. But the extension, you know what takes eight chapters for it to happen? Do you know, what, do you know why? Because the apostles were hoarding. I know, it's, it's, it doesn't seem right to think of them that way, but they were. They were hoarding. They weren't going. They were staying. They had some incredible leaders, some gifted apostolic preachers. God had built his church, and he was ready for them to go, but they didn't go. So what happened? Do you remember? How, how, how did we in America hear the gospel today? It's interesting. Here, here's, here's what happened. Check this out. Acts chapter 8. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all, what's that word? Scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Sound familiar? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and what? Samaria and Judea, Judea and to the uttermost parts of the world. They didn't go. They stayed. They hoarded. They weren't sent. And God said, that's enough. That's enough. It's time. It's time for you to be sent. And I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to scatter you. Sometimes if we plant, God radically intervenes. And he will accomplish his purpose one way. It's like the book of Esther. Esther told her uncle, uh, it was Mordecai, right? She said, uh, he said, you have to go and you have to approach the king. And it's a scary thing because you could die if you're not invited into the throne room of a Gentile king back then. And she was vacillating. And he said, hey, look, think, do not think that you'll escape God will bring deliverance from somebody else if you're not obedient. Who knows, though? Maybe you were put in the kingdom for such a time as this. God's going to accomplish his purpose. I want him to use us to do it, don't you? I want revival to come through this church, not the one down the street. But if God wants to use the one down the street, we'll celebrate. Hey, God's the CEO of all the companies. He doesn't care where you buy your coffee, right? He does, the CEO of Starbucks really doesn't care which Starbucks store you go to. I mean, I don't guess he does. Maybe, maybe he wants you to go to the weakest one so that you... anyway. God owns all the, he owns all the churches, you know? He gets the glory for all the fruit, and we should celebrate fruit, even if it's not grown on our tree. But at the same time, we ought to do all we can within our power to see to it that it is. Man, so much more could be said about that. Here's the third thing. It's costly, it's critical, unless a seed falls to the ground, it remains alone. Unless we plant, unless we sin, there's no harvest, there's no growth. There's no reaping. It's costly. It has to die. It has to suffer. It's critical. must happen. And it's also Christian. You say, what are you talking about? Why do we send? Because God sent. <laughs> all the problems, all the darkness around us, that God wants us to be a part of the solution, do you realize that that's just a very small shadow of what God did? He looked down from heaven he heard our screams. He heard our cries. He saw our helplessness. He saw how hopeless and desperate we were. And what did God do? He sent, he sent a system. He didn't send... Uh, he sent a person. He sent his son. He sent his best. He sent his most valuable and precious possession. He sent his very son to us. Serve it. 
That's what God did. God is ascending God, and therefore his, we should not consider ourselves obedient Christians if we are not seeing ourselves as sent. We're being conformed in the image of Christ. What image is that, being sent? You know, uh, just a couple of days ago, they celebrated New York City in Times Square, uh, September 11th, 19 years ago. It's hard to believe, isn't it? 19 years ago, that terrorist attack happened, and the towers fell. But did you know something else happened in New York City 55 years ago that most people have forgotten? There was a young lady who was 23 years old. Her name was Kitty Genovese. And she worked at a bar. She was a bartender. And she left her shift. She lived in Queens. She left her shift at 3 a.m. And she walked to her car. And she was attacked by an assailant wielding a hunting knife. I know we have children in the room. It was not good. It was not good what happened to her. It took 33 minutes for the crime to happen. But here's what stands out about that. She screamed. She cried to the top of her lungs, and nobody came down to help her. But it happened right in front of this massive apartment complex where 38 people either witnessed the crime or heard the crime as it occurred and did nothing to stop it. It was in March. And that has haunted that entire city ever since. In fact, if you have been to school within the last 40 years and you've taken sociology, you've read about this in your textbook. It's something called the bystander effect. Have you heard of that? Do you know why none of those people did anything? They thought somebody else would. They didn't want to get involved. It was cold. She was a girl. serves a right, some people said. She was gay. That came out later. Some people knew that. They said, she's getting what she deserves. That's 38 people heard or watched that crime for 33 minutes and did nothing. They rolled over. They didn't yell. They didn't chase away the assailant. They didn't offer her aid. They did nothing. And she died in a puddle of her own. And you say, Pastor, why are you saying that? Because <laughs> God heard our cries. And he got involved. You know, I, I tell a joke to my kids all the time, and they never laugh. It's about breakfast. Are you committed to breakfast, or are you just involved? The chicken is involved in breakfast if you eat eggs. The pig is committed if you eat sausage. See, you guys don't laugh at it either, right? <laughs> are you just a little bit involved in the mission, or are you committed? Jesus just didn't involve himself. He committed. He heard our cries he came down, not at the risk of his life. A lot of those people that were up in bed, what is too risky? This is crime-ridden New York City, Queens. Who's going to go down there and die? What do you do? Forget about it. You know, that was their, their sentiment. Jesus came down, not just at the risk of his life, but at the, at the cost of his life. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew what it would cost him. But he saw the travail of his soul, and he was satisfied, right? He joyfully and obediently went to the cross, knowing full well what it would cost him, but also knowing the harvest that it would yield. And listen, guys, we're no different than, than that. We have been sent just as Jesus Christ has been sent. Because God is a sending God, we ought to be a sending people. Ed Stetzer said this, and I'm going to close you here. He said, the greatest call we have upon our lives is to lose those lives for the sake of the gospel. Those who truly wish to live should be willing to lose. Those who truly want to gain should start by giving away. And here are just, uh, here are just a, a couple of just a couple of challenges I want to leave you with. What would it look like for Grace Life Church 
to protect and promote this culture of sending? Well, just a few things here. Number one, we will continue to give sacrificially. You know, I can't ever remember in the last six years talking about money here. Not one time. And I don't say that as a feather in my hat. I say it to my shame because Jesus talked about money a lot. And I plan on talking about it in the future. Thank God we have some, some great leadership. Steve Ekman is our, the elder that oversees that, and he's done great, and our church is doing okay. Um, for now, I know we've taken a hit because of the COVID-19. But listen, we, we support Patty Parks. We partner with Fieldstone with, with offering office space so that, that people in this region and this church can get counseled. We are supporting Identity Church. Um, we partner with the Pregnancy Crisis Center. Recently, I think it's up to $500 now that we've given them in bottle change. You know why we're able to do that? Because our people give sacrificially. You give sacrificially. Those of you watching from home, thank you. Thank you for those of you that, that give when it hurts. And I think it should. I think giving should be sacrificial. It should be regular. And the Bible also says it should be cheerful. Did you know that? The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. And that the only time in the Bible the word cheerful in Greek is ever used is there. And it comes from the word hilaron. You know what word we get from that? Anybody want to guess? Hilarious. <laughs> you ever seen that they seem crazy? <laughs> give money away. Just give it all away. That's like the image. You are giving hilariously, cheerfully, like God owns it all. He's going to do whatever he wants with it. So this is our homework. Continue to give sacrificially and cheerfully. Continue to serve willingly. Because look, when we sent Jeff and we sent five families, guess what? We needed more servants. We needed more ambassadors and holes formed where we needed it. And guess what? God provided the leadership. Those, those leaders stood up and they served willingly and cheerfully and sacrificially. We should send joyfully. When God gives us the opportunity to send somebody away to be on mission, we should celebrate that. But at the same time, we should also see ourselves as sent locally. So two questions here. Are you helping to send others from Grace Life Church, and are you viewing yourself as sent? You are. When we end this service, we're going to send you again. We lay hands on people like Patty. We laid hands on her and prayed. Jeff and those families, we laid hands on them and prayed. Almost as if every Sunday we do that, even though we don't do that physically. That's what we're doing. We're laying hands on ourselves, saying, Lord, anoint us for your service. Send us out there. Plant us deeply in the ground. May we die to ourselves so that a harvest can be yielded for your kingdom. And you'll get all the glory for it. And when we enter heaven, you'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And the last thing you can do is pray expectantly. Pray expectantly. We had three men. You may not have even known this if you didn't hear the prayer last week, but Steve Ekman and Fran Dobb and Ken Osborne went on a Samaritan trip to Lake Charles, Louisiana, and they stayed there all week. Now, they went through Samaritans, and uh, this church, even though we prayed for them, we didn't officially send them, but they were gone all week, and they were doing mud outs and mold infest. They were ministering to families. People were praying to receive Christ there. That's amazing. Steve, Fran, was that hard work? That's hard work, wasn't it? Your church family missed you, and we prayed for you, and we want to be a part of sending more teams like that and doing whatever, taking whatever opportunities uh, God gives us. And I'm, I'm thankful that, again, you guys, you guys are pioneering that. You're the, you're the sharp tip of the gospel spear here, and I'm thankful for that. Don't feel like it's an uphill 
battle fighting to have this culture, but I do know this, we never drift toward that. We, we, you never drift toward obedience. You drift toward vision, vision drift. You lose your sense of urgency on the mission and the focus, and so God wants us to excel even more in that idea. So let me finish with just a few slides here. That's Grace Life Church, what they've become now. We, we serve this high school, Deltona High School, every semester. We partner with Chick-fil-A and Jamie Vance and my friend down here. Thank you guys for all the work you do in partnering with us. We laid hands on Patty Parks and sent her to Ireland. And she's been there how many years now, Sarah? Four years. She is investing, discipling women, children. She's an evangelist in that, in that place. It's amazing, all the fruit. Uh, we launched B&B. When we first started here, Melissa Affalter oversaw that 501c3, and now she's transitioned into a Fieldstone counselor, and we've partnered with them. Uh, this is us praying over Jeff and the families we sent to Grace Life Beachside, Central Florida Pregnancy Center. We partner with them. We invest in Identity Church with uh, Byron Cogdale and his team from Christ Community Church, and, you know, lots of other things. Lots of other things we do. I don't want it to seem like we're trying to capture every little thing. All that to say, thank you for your obedience. Thank you for all the ways you're a part of that culture. And please help us to fiercely protect it and guard it and not drift. Never, never start hoarding. Never start thinking we're here just to fill a building. God is much more interested in what the people here do when they leave the building. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your grace for your love, for your power. Thank you, Lord, that you are a sending God. And because of that, when we look and wrap our minds and hearts around what you did for us, Lord, we will willingly, cheerfully, prayerfully, hopefully, and joyfully go wherever it is, Lord. We don't have to ask whether or not we have been sent. What we need to ask is who you are sending us to. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you please open our eyes and our hearts to see the people that you have placed in our life that are right in front of us, Maybe for some of us, it's our very family, and we have been sent to them. We have been filled with your spirit. We have been equipped by your word. We've been motivated by your love, and you have sent us to help them, to share the gospel with them, to pray with them, to offer assistance of some kind to them. Maybe it's people in our neighborhood or people at school, people at work, people in a distant family situation. Maybe it's just a friendship. Help us to see those needs, Lord, and see ourselves as sin, and ask for your help in doing that today. As we ponder and reflect on this, Lord, open our eyes to see the needs around us and how we can help and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Kyle's going to lead us in uh, one of our Selah songs where we just reflect. And Bill and Christy and Cliff are in the back. They represent our prayer team back there. If you'd like to come, confess a sin, ask for prayer for healing or for a struggle that you have, this is your time to do that. You can just quietly uh, walk in the back. They would love to pray with you. Or if you just want to celebrate something God has done that's amazing in your life and give him glory and pray, this is your time to do that. Uh, Kyle's going to lead us now, and we're going to sing and reflect, and then I'm going to come back with a few announcements and dismiss us.
Well, we just have a few announcement slides for today, and then we're going to stand and say our charge and leave. Um, you know, we, we, sometimes we have events here that we gauge on when there's a fifth Sunday or when there's a fifth Wednesday, and we have a fifth Wednesday coming up, the last uh, of September, obviously. I believe, can you see that? It's September the 30th, and we use those opportunities. Uh, Bill and Christy are leading our prayer ministry now. We're having uh, a prayer gathering. Now, the last time we did it on Zoom because of where we were at as a nation, and I haven't talked to them about that yet. I don't know if we're going to repeat the, the Zoom. We'll definitely offer it on Zoom, but we may gather as well at a house. Uh, but mark your calendars for September 30th from 7 to 8.30. That's going to be the time that our church corporately gathers together for prayer. We only rent this building once a week on Sunday. We don't have that opportunity on Wednesday. So fifth Wednesdays is just an opportunity for us to intercede for one another, for our nation, uh, especially right now before the election time, uh, intercede for our leaders, intercede for healing, for the social unrest, just a lot of crazy things going on, and, and to intercede for ourselves, that God would help us to remain faithful to the mission that he's given us. So mark your calendars for that fifth Sunday. Community groups started last week. Now look, when we talk about being sent, you know, we, we try to decentralize everything that we do here. We're not heavily programmed uh, which is a good thing when something like a pandemic hits and all your programs get canceled. We have a simple vision, gather, grow, and go. And one of the ways we do that outside of Sunday morning is we have something that we call community groups. We gather in one another's homes once a week uh, for up, in, and out. We, we worship together, we have fellowship together, and we are on mission together. And so our community group started last week. If, if you still haven't signed up for one, all you have to do is go to the website, and it's so easy to figure out. Just go to connect. Go to community groups. You can sign up for a community group. And I know some of you are watching from home right now, and we have a special opportunity for you if you uh, have not done this yet. We are actually offering an online Zoom community group that's going to be led by Brent Carnathan and Mark Mailing, and that takes place at 7 o'clock on Sundays. So tonight will be the very first Zoom community group, and Brent's going to lead it tonight, and it starts at 7, and I would really encourage you, especially all of you at home who aren't able to gather in person, to take advantage of that, and as you know, if you've used Zoom, you have to have a special link, and it's really easy to get that. We want to keep it uh, protected, though, <laughs> you know, so go to our website and go to community groups, and, and you'll see the one that's online, and just it's very easy. Click on the contact. You'll send an email, and you'll get the link back, and you can be up and running tonight by 7 o'clock for that Zoom. And if you have any problems, you can just email contact at gracelifeflorida.com, and Megan or Diane will help you out. So I think that's all the announcements. You can stay connected. You can also sign up for a community group with the Church Center app uh, that you have hopefully downloaded on your smartphone or your device, and uh, really easy to get connected. If you have any problems... Don't let it be uh, because of a tech challenge. Reach out to us and let us help you get connected to that. So I think that's all we have for today. Would you stand? And now you know why we do this charge every week so that we can remind ourselves God is ascending God and we need to be sending people. We need to be ascending people and we need to be sending people, sending servants. So help me out. The charge is up here. Repeat it with me. I am a witness. I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. 
and then I'm the one that says this part. You have been sent. God bless you. Thank you for worshiping with us. We'll see you at community group or next Sunday.